Would you pray with me? <coughs> Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Stepping up to our challenges. When you look back over life so far, are you surprised at what you've accomplished so far? I mean, the nature of nostalgia is usually positive, but would you really want to go back in time and relive those challenges that you've had over your life so far? We tend to look at our past experiences with a mindset that things weren't really that bad, at least as though we thought they were now. They weren't as bad as we thought they were at the moment. But we may think twice about going back in time and actually reliving some of those challenges. Sometimes we aren't even sure how we overcame them. But for those that are in the past, we tend to forget how difficult they were while we're dealing with them in the moment. Despite the anxiousness that we experience when confronted with a big challenge, our greatest accomplishments often come as we face our greatest challenges. This could be on a personal basis, such as maybe dealing with a personal health issue, or it could be on a large scale, like addressing global environmental issues. These really big challenges require great creativity and perseverance, born out of a passion to see them resolved. One example is the work done by Greta Thunberg, a young Swedish environmental activist who has a passion to address the issues of climate change. She was so passionate about it in her young life that she started lobbying the Swedish parliament at the age of 15. And within a year, she had helped launch student strikes around the world that involved millions of students. She's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize each year since then, the last five years, and received a great deal of recognition around the world in different forms. She has accomplished much in these last five years, but she has also received a great deal of criticism. The attacks by her critics have often been personal, belittling her and mocking her, but she continues on, seeing the issue of climate change as vitally important. I doubt she woke up one day and just decided to be a lightning rod for climate change, but the circumstances arose where she was confronted with an issue and her passion to address that issue prompted her to take action. I wonder if in some ways John the Baptist had a similar kind of experience where he saw an issue, sin in the Jewish community, and he had a deep passion to address it. A few verses before this passage that we read earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, John is described as a very different kind of person, living in the wilderness, wearing clothing made of camel hair and a leather belt, and eating locusts and wild honey. But he was so passionate about this issue of sin that he was able to convince people in the surrounding communities that the problem of sin had to be addressed. People from all walks of life came out to see him, including the religious leaders, and they respected him and his message, even though he looked and behaved quite differently to other people. John was compelled to act out of a recognition of the issues of sin 
and a personal passion to address it. In today's passage from Matthew, we see Jesus also venturing into the wilderness to meet with John. Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John in the Jordan River, but John was hesitant to baptize him. John knew that there was something special about Jesus, and he felt that he was unworthy to baptize John, Jesus. Rather. Did John recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God? He seemed to have a suspicion that this was so, but we aren't sure how much he really understood. He knew that Jesus was a very special person, and he felt it was inappropriate for him to perform the ritual of washing away Jesus' sin, as he had done for so many other people and around him. Well, according to our faith tradition today, there are a couple of misperceptions or misconceptions in this line of thinking. First, he assumed that Jesus had sins which needed to be washed away. And secondly, he apparently assumed that the person performing the ritual of baptism had to be more righteous than the person being baptized. A tradition tells us that Jesus had no sin. He was never separated from God. Jesus was always one with God. And in the second case, baptism is a gift from God, Mark, and it marks a covenant between God and the person being baptized. So there should be no concern whether the person performing the ritual of baptism is more or less righteous than the person being baptized. In any case, John felt inadequate, saying, I need to be baptized by you when you come to me. But Jesus convinced John to baptize him by saying, let it be so for now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Only then did John consent. John was passionate about addressing sin in the Jewish community, but he faced a new kind of challenge, a new different particular challenge when confronted with Jesus's request to be baptized by him. John perceived that Jesus was very well the Messiah, and he felt that he was not prepared to baptize the Messiah. John knew from the writings of the prophets, such as Isaiah, which we read earlier, that the Messiah was a special person chosen by God who was extremely righteous. Many have reflected on this passage that we read from Isaiah today and concluded that this was a prophecy pointing to the arrival of Jesus. Isaiah speaking at a time when some Jews were still in exile while others had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They offered hope to his Jewish community and his Jewish brothers and sisters by predicting the future presence of a special presence from God, a special servant from God. This was expected to be someone who didn't shout in the streets, but still fostered passion, who was gentle yet perseverant, who fostered justice and inspired the nations. This was someone who looked toward the interests of God sharing the light of God's wisdom with those who are sitting in the prison of darkness. This is how John seemed to see Jesus, thinking that he was the one described by Isaiah, the one in whom God delighted. And of course, Jesus does fit this description. But some others have suggested that this prophecy from Isaiah may be pointing to more than just Jesus. 
Yes, Jesus would be a special case, not only one in whom God delights, but also the Son of God. But perhaps it could also describe other people who have come or are yet to come who will serve God with everything they have. These may have been famous people, or they may have been people who have gone into obscurity, impacting humanity in significant ways which God only knows. Either way, over time, there may be several people on whom God has placed God's spirit and who are inspired to serve God's purposes with such passion. Another idea is that this description from Isaiah is a vision for the church, for us. This is what the body of Christ is expected to eventually evolve into. Just as Jesus gave us the example of how to behave as the Messiah, the anointed one, we are expected to follow this example and behave as Jesus would. We're expected to serve the world with humility and gentleness, yet also with passion and perseverance as we seek justice and share the wisdom and love of God with those who are currently the prisoners of darkness. We are to be compassionate and kind, instigators of a new way of living in the world where the traps of pride and greed give way to modesty and generosity. Living into this role described by Isaiah is a special kind of challenge. There are many ways to serve God, but I think they're often born more out of choice than circumstance. There may be circumstances that leave us no choice but to act, or they may spark a passion in us where we are compelled by our own convictions to address, address some injustice. But many times we need to make a concerted effort to uncover the role that we are suited to fulfill in a particular moment. Given our means and abilities, we may find ourselves in a situation where it makes the best sense for us to take on a challenge that we've been made aware of, although we aren't particularly passionate about it. For example, suppose you learn that there are people who would like to come to church on Sunday morning but don't have a car or don't have the physical ability to do that. Although you may not be particularly passionate about driving around on Sunday morning, a choice to offer others a ride to church certainly is one of the examples of kindness and generosity that would fall into the description by Isaiah. Whether the decisions or the challenges that we decide to take on affect only a few people or impact the entire world, our efforts make a difference. Yes, there are big challenges that require tremendous effort born out of deep passions, but there are also smaller challenges that make a huge difference to just our families, our churches, or our local communities. The world needs to be reminded of the need for good stewards of environment, but we also need to remind each other through simple gestures that everyone is a child of God. Each challenge that we discover in our own life or the lives of others is an opportunity to grow in discipleship and express our love for God and each other. There will be opportunities to offer forgiveness, receive forgiveness, repent and see the work of salvation from, of Christ given from a different perspective. I encourage you today to look for the challenges around you that will give you these opportunities 
and make a personal decision to step into the roles that are appropriate for you to share your gifts with the body of Christ. Amen.